Welcome to Harvest Time. My name is Chris Harper, and our host on this program is Pastor Gary Walton. We often spend these 25 minutes together telling you the stories of our church by interviewing our members and other friends of the ministry. We want to start by personally inviting you to Harvest Baptist Church this Sunday. We have two services, the first at 9 a.m., the second at 11 a.m. COVID safety protocols in place at both. We'd love to see you at either. And during our 9 a.m. service, we do have a live stream, which you can find at hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. This week, special guest Mark Herbster, he'll be speaking on Going Against the Flow from 1 Peter 3, 15. Let's begin Harvest Time today by welcoming Pastor Gary Walton. Hi, Pastor. Half a day, Chris. Yeah, I'm really pleased to be able to introduce a friend of our ministry for a long time, Mark Herbster is actually here to be part of our graduations. We'll talk about that in a minute, but welcome back to Harvest, Mark. Well, it's a privilege to be on the island of Guam. This is my third time to be here at Harvest, and it's been a while. It's been about 10 years since I was here last, and so excited about this opportunity to be with you, Pastor, and the good folks here at Harvest. Now, you've been here 2007, 2011. Are that the right dates? I think that's about right. Yeah, we came, uh, my brother, I have a twin brother, his name's Mike, and Mike and I both came and we uh, served with the Spirit Week that uh, the school put on. And so there might be some listeners that remember the identical twins, (laughs) Mark and Mike, who came in 2007 and I think maybe 11 or 10, something like that, 2010 or 11. Well, it'll be interesting to hear the story since then. I mean, God's been using you and transitioning you in a couple of ways, but but we're really glad that you're here. You know, originally, the president of Maranatha Baptist University, Dr. Marty Marriott, was going to come. He's had some health complications, and you're coming in his place, but representing Maranatha and then really the chance to be able to speak to our graduates, both at the college, HPBC, and at HCA, Harvest Christian Academy. Yes, and I'm really excited that Dr. Marriott gave me this opportunity. (laughs) He came to me back in about January, I believe, and he said, would you like to go to Guam in my place? Because I don't think I'm going to be able to travel. Right. And if you're listening, you could pray for Dr. Marty Marriott. He's the president of Maranatha Baptist University, where I serve in my ministry, and he has cancer. And so he was concerned about the travel and, you know, just how that would affect his health. And so I'm thankful that he he gave me this opportunity. Thankful to be here. Yeah, uh, Dr. Marriott has been a friend of the ministry for many years. We do, for sure, praying for him and his health, thankful for his ministry. But we are really thrilled that you're here, and we believe that in God's plan, he's brought you here for just this season, Mark. So thanks for being willing to go through you know, all the things that we had to go through to get you here. And Oh, it's a privilege, and I'm thankful to, to speak to the graduates in both the academy and the college. Since you were here last, you're traveling as an evangelist. We'll come back to that in a minute. But you're now the dean of the College of Bible and Church Ministries uh, at the college and at the seminary at Maranatha Baptist University, as well as the director of student discipleship. Man, that seems like a lot of big roles. Yeah. Somebody told me when I first went to Maranatha, do you realize they gave you three full-time jobs? (laughs) And I'm a type of person, I'm a very type A personality. I jump in with all of my might and all my energy to whatever God has given me to do. And yeah, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of opportunities, but primarily moved to uh, Wisconsin about three years ago to serve at Maranatha Baptist University. And uh, training preachers is really a burden I have 
in training on both the undergraduate level and the seminary level, but then uh, the relationships that I can build with these students and then sending them out really all over the world to serve the Lord. It's really a great privilege. We have about about 140 students in the College of Bible and Church Ministry. That is just one section of the university. And then we have about 150 students that are enrolled in the seminary, and about probably 75% of that is online training. So we have students that are training literally all over the world. Some of them are in missions work. Some of them are in China. We have students in China and Asia, different places where they're doing online classes. So, man, I could talk about that the rest of the time, but there's a lot of great opportunities with the education that we're sending out all over the world. I want to ask you some more questions about that. I know that you have a wife, Amy, right? And then children. Tell us about your family. Yes, I couldn't do it without my wife. She's been by my side for now almost 25 years, my wife Amy, and then God has given us four daughters. So I have Megan, Madison, Morgan, and Meredith, and that's what preachers do sometimes. They alliterate their outlines, and well, my my whole family is a little bit alliterated there. All starting with the letter M, and so what happened to the A's, right? Did yeah, Amy, not have a vote right. in this. Or? Well, I joke, and I, when I introduce them all, I joke and I say, "Well, her name is really Mom, so she kind of fits in." Oh, uh, right? very good. Yeah. So Megan, my oldest daughter, Megan, is in the nursing school at Maranatha, and she has just finished her second year. My second daughter is Madison. She is in the elementary education program in the college, and then we had a we have a little bit of a break in between the first two and the last two. I have a 11-year-old, that's Morgan, and then a 10-year-old, and that's Meredith. So I have some in elementary and some in college. kind of keeps me young, that's for sure. Fun days, man. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. I couldn't do it without my family. They are the priority in my life next to my relationship with the Lord. You've been at Maranatha three years, is that right? Or That's correct. Okay. Three full years. Uh-huh. And then prior to that, I mean, 18 years as an evangelist. Maybe I could start by asking you about that piece. Sure. Uh, tell us what it means to be an evangelist. You know, yeah. what, what, what well, did God do to call you to that? The scripture teaches in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has gifted the church with pastors, teachers. I believe that's the same person there, but listed in Ephesians chapter 4. And then evangelists. And I think that there is sometimes a lot of confusion about what is an evangelist. Right. For me personally, I believe that the scriptural word defines it for us. It's a gospel messenger. Mm-hmm gospel messenger being primarily someone who is burdened to reach the unreached, to reach people who have never heard, to properly articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in our ministry, uh, we went literally all over the world for about 18 years with that purpose of evangelizing and helping others to evangelize. In the mainland, of course, it it kind of translates into week-long meetings where we do church meetings. We would travel all over the country we lived on the road. We lived in a uh, an RV, a fifth wheel trailer, mm. and God blessed me with a wife who was willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, for really most of my married life, we never owned a house. We owned a fifth wheel, and we would park it in the church parking lots, and we would minister a week at a time at churches all across the U.S. And then we would travel around the world anytime we had the opportunity for evangelistic opportunities. And I am so blessed that I've had the privilege of traveling to approximately 25 different foreign countries and many different, many, many different incredible evangelistic opportunities with lost people. I think of a couple opportunities. One was in India. I was preaching 
to a group of Hindus on four or five nights of evangelistic meetings. We were seeing literally hundreds of professions of faith going into the middle of Africa and Cameroon, Africa, seeing people get saved. Philippines, there's so many different experiences I've had. And again, I'm so thankful that the Lord has given me those opportunities, humbled to share the gospel. And so, yeah, the evangel- I still feel like the Lord has gifted me as an evangelist. Mm-hmm. I believe that's my burden. But uh, the Lord redirected my location of ministry to train the next generation to be passionate ministers of the gospel. But I still do a lot of traveling, not just for the school. It's really more for ministry than it is for Maranatha. It's just sharing Christ with people. Well, in my opinion, these two things go together. I mean, I think the models that we find in the New Testament of this office, which the Bible describes of an evangelist, included a couple different methods of traveling and ministering, but often these evangelists with the gifting of these gospel proclaimers, God had placed them in specific places to build up his church and to establish Mm -hmm. believers to train leaders, right? Yes. To appoint leaders across all the churches. It just feels like a nice fit to me. Yeah. And I, I do agree with you totally that there really scripture does not give us a clear dogmatic statement about the methodology of the evangelist, right. but really it's more the burden of the evangelist. Sure. So sometimes they're missionaries, sometimes they're church planners, sometimes they're they're educators. I mean, I, I still am an evangelist, but I'm in education uh, right now. But yeah, you're right. Exactly right. Yeah, in fact, I mean, this is tracking it a little bit. The Bible talks about pastors having mm-hmm. a burden to yes. have the gift of evangelism, too. Yeah. And it's a little bit, maybe a little different focus. It's more of a shepherding ministry, but really, I think that's important for a pastor, a shepherd in a local place. I, I feel that strongly, you know, in my soul as well, just that burden. Of, yeah. You know, Paul told, I'm a wannabe, I hope I'm an evangelist absolutely. anyway. Absolutely. Pastors should be. Yeah, absolutely. Paul told Timothy in the... Do the work Pastoral of the evangelist. Yeah. epistle, right. Do the work of the evangelist. So the primary emphasis of a pastor is typically on edification-type ministries, but they must be involved in evangelism. And the primary emphasis of an evangelist is predominantly evangelism, mm-hmm. but they must be involved in edification ministry. And my goal as an evangelist was support the church, support the pastor, do whatever I could to be a help and encouragement to that local ministry. You're already answering this, Mark, but maybe I can push down a little bit more. It's really interesting to me. Just thinking about your life burdens, you know, it's kind of woven its way through these seasons of your life already. Mm -hmm. How would you define how God's burdened you? I would say that my first burden is to bring God glory in the church. Hmm. One of the reasons why I moved to Maranatha is I was recognizing that a lot of churches are struggling. A lot of churches are, frankly, they're anemic when it comes to the depth of teaching the theology and the practice and the, the uh, local ministry philosophies, and really unattractive to many, even Christians. And so I was increasingly becoming burdened to be able to articulate to the next generation, what is true Christianity and what should it look like and how should it be represented in local church ministries. And one of my particular burdens, I would say, is that I believe we should be countercultural. And to be honest with you, this is part of what I'm going to be preaching on Sunday morning. We need to be countercultural in in the sense that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. There's a lot of wisdom and discernment needed in 
Christianity today in order to accomplish that burden, to make a difference in the world. The Bible says we're pilgrims and strangers in the world and that we look for a city whose builder and maker is God. And so our citizenship really is in heaven while we're citizens of this earth. I would say with the college students specifically, this is a significant burden that I have is that they would learn that conservative Christianity is not about a list of do's and don'ts, but it's more about representing God in a foreign land. Mm. It's a, it's about God's standards, not our standards. And so I want them to grab a hold of the truth of God, the goodness of God, the beauty of God, and how they can properly represent that to the next generation. And of course, we know that the best representation of the truth and beauty and goodness of God is the gospel. And Jesus is the greatest example of what it really means to be a Christian. We're to be like Jesus. He is truth, goodness, and beauty perfectly represented in his incarnation. I don't know if that's helping to answer that question, but that's really a burden on my heart is that we would have eyes toward heaven and that we would set our affection on things above by being countercultural, being in the world and not of the world. And that really is a a burden that I have for the next generation of young people as well. Yeah, that's great. Very, very helpful. So 20 years fulfilling the gifting that God's given you of, of evangelism and care for the church. There was a lot of ministry to youth along with, yeah. you know, church and now, you know, very specifically college students. Right. That's always interesting to me. What are you seeing as sort of major needs among young people today, particularly young people in the church, right? What are you seeing? Wow, that's a great question too, Pastor. I have spent a lot of time in camp ministry in places like the Wilds Christian Camp in North Carolina and different camps that I've preached at all over the country. I think that uh, one of my concerns for the youth is that they would develop a depth of understanding. I think in, in some cases, youth ministry and youth philosophy has created kind of a shallow perspective of what faith means. Mm. And I think that there's a tendency for youth leaders to be pragmatic. There's a tendency for youth ministries to become very uh, driven by what the teenagers want instead of what they really need. And I think that part of that goes to some of the things of our culture, the entitlement philosophy or the easy philosophy of our culture. Everything comes easy. Everything's handed to us. And I think that teenagers, young people are capable of going deeper and deeper in their truth of the Bible. And I think that that's important that we have a strong emphasis on preaching and teaching and discipling young people with the truth of the Scripture. And we know they can learn quickly. Uh, Young people learn quickly. We know because of what the Scripture teaches that everybody is seeking and desiring to have a relationship with God. There's an emptiness in their soul without God. And so young people sometimes put up a front, and they put up a front with all their entertainment or their, their friendships, the peer pressure and all that. But down deep in their heart, I think they are longing for real meaning, Mm -hmm. real meaning in life. And, And I'm convinced, as we should be, especially as Bible teachers, that only God, only God can fill that meaning and that the truth of the Bible is really what they need. Now, that does not negate the fact that you need to try to make it 
and communicate it to them in a way that is receivable. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of challenges with that as Christian leaders, you know, to make it, if I can say, relevant to them, but without compromising the truth that is in the Scripture. I don't know if that answers. It's a little bit of what I'm, you know, I'm seeing some of the compromise and some of the lack of relevance. So on one side, there's a lack of understanding the teenage generation. On the other side, there's people that understand it so well, they're compromising the truth of the gospel. Yeah, I'm really bullish on this generation coming up. They have challenges that nobody's really, in in America at least, that we haven't faced before. Um, And that might mean a lot of different things, but I really believe that God is preparing a generation of young people to live in the world that we have, and we want to do everything that we can to prepare them. Yes. That is centered in a local church, and we desperately need Bible colleges that are doing the work of foundational training and yes. helping. And so, I'm, Well, they're dominated. I think the culture, the teenage culture, the young people are dominated by technology. Their phone and their social media uh, and things like that, entertainment, games, all is a part of their life, and I think we need to be careful that we teach them how to use those things properly without making them feel like if they're, if they're into those things, it's not wrong. Right. It's not sinful to be into those things, but it's time management, and it's stewarding your life, and it's learning how to accomplish and use those things for the good of the gospel and the glory of God. Yeah, and those challenges, I I think, play into it in such a significant way. And as you're saying, but we have a generation of young people that they genuinely want their lives to count, and yes. they want to have an influence on the world, and we have to be able to present to them a living faith that they can give themselves to in yes. order that it would be worthwhile, and I, and I love we that need, picture. Yeah, absolutely. We need to be very optimistic for them yeah. and with them. Amen. We seek to do that at Maranatha as the college students come in, and they come in with a lot of struggles, and right. there is some baggage For sure. sometimes from their home or the culture around them, but we got to love them and lead them to Christ and to the truth of the Scripture. You mentioned the idea of discipleship. It's a big deal for us around here. I mean, I think oh, it should great. be for, for any church. But, Absolutely. You know, at the very foundation of who we are, we know that we're called to be a disciple-making church. So I'm so interested in any conversations about that. One of your titles at the school is the Director of Student Discipleship, along with the other roles that you have, (laughs) but I know that's a burden and a passion for you. What does discipleship mean to you? To Maranatha, what can we learn from that? Scripturally, discipleship is the goal of the church, and it is ultimately a part of the the essence of the Great Commission, uh, is that we would not just see people saved, but that they would be growing and learning and becoming more like Jesus Christ. I think when I think about discipleship, I think that there are basically three categories of becoming like Christ. I think we ought to think like Christ. I think we ought to feel right about Christ in the gospel, and I think we ought to live for Christ. These are categories that I try to focus on. So discipleship is developing in a community or church setting. For us, it's a community. It's the community of the students. Sure. For you, it's, uh, it's the church body here developing relationships in community with the express purpose of of drawing people to Christ in the way they think, the way they feel, and the way they act. And I think that some of our greatest examples of this are found in the New Testament. And to me, Paul and Timothy are a great example of that type of discipleship. And the way that we do that, first of all, is by example. Mm. So we have to live what we expect others to be. 
And we do that not by our own power, but by our own, but by the Spirit of God and the Word of God that enables us. But as Christian leaders especially, I think we need to exemplify Christ to the world around us in our personal lives, our marriages, our families, and everything about us should be an example of thinking, living, and feeling like we should be like Jesus Christ. And we see that with Paul, too, by the way. Paul exemplified to Timothy. Then he told Timothy that he should be an example. And so I think that's the first thing. More is caught than taught. We've heard that. And I think it's disingenuous to teach all the Scripture and not live it, and so people need to see that. Secondly, I think it's exhorting. It's exhorting people, so it's exemplifying and then exhorting. And we have to be willing to speak the truth in love, but we have to say the truth to people. And you can't have discipleship without the truth. And of course, the truth is found in the Word. John 17, 17, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And then the third thing I think is overlooked a lot of times uh, in our discipleship process is exemplifying Christ, exhorting people to be like Christ, and then I think this is really important, encouraging. In other words, an atmosphere of joy. I know I've already, even since I've been here, Pastor, I've heard you talk about that and even pray for that. Yeah. Because I think that there needs to be a coming alongside of people that we're working with and just loving them and encouraging them and smiling to them and and really encouraging them when they do right and when there's when we're seeing growth. And then finally, I think again this is skipped a lot of times as well and I think there's a danger in not doing this and that is the last part of a discipleship process would be enabling mm-hmm. enabling them then to be a discipler. And I think a lot of the older generation needs to learn this, needs to pass on and be willing to enable the next person you're discipling to then disciple themselves. So as you encourage them, as you exhort them, as you exemplify to them, now you're giving over to them because ultimately the goal of discipleship is to duplicate, to multiply disciples in the world. You know, Jesus said, if you come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross you are becoming a disciple. But that is a simple statement of what our goal is. It's really all about Jesus and all about being like Christ. I hope that gives a little bit of my heart for discipleship. It's a challenge, even talking about it. I just asked the Lord that he would, I'm humbled that first I could be an example to, I mean, I think of my, our, our students and even wherever I go, that first of all, I'd be an example, but encourage and exhort and then enable others to do the same. I love all that. I love that heart at Maranatha and your desire for students. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more off off air. Yes, I'm sure we will. About that as well. I know that's your heart here too at Harvest. That's really the heart of the gospel and the heart of Christ for his church. We're going to keep you busy. The next I know. I love days. that. I love that. <laughs> Tonight, Mark will be the commencement speaker at Harvest Christian Academy. And then tomorrow night, doing the same thing at Harvest Baptist Bible College. Both of those venues are are limited because of COVID. You can catch each of them online, and I'd encourage you to do that. The Saturday night has a little bit more flexibility, particularly for a church family to be part of that college graduation. And then on Sunday morning, on both services, uh, you, uh, the title is Going Against That Flow. Could you give us a 30-second yeah, sure. overview of what that's going to be about? So the book of First Peter is where we'll be on Sunday morning. And Peter was writing to a group of scattered out believers who were struggling in the culture because of the persecution they were facing. And I believe that in that book, and especially the the text we'll look at in 1 Peter 3, there are some specific admonitions of how to handle a culture that is aggressively attacking our Christian faith. And so I'm going to give several of those principles 
from First Peter chapter 3, which will help us to go against the flow of the current of the culture. Love that, man. We're looking forward to it. Uh, we'd invite anybody listening to come and join us Sunday morning. Chris will give you the details about it. But thanks, Mark, for being part of this. Thank you so much, Pastor. It's a privilege to be here. And thank the Lord for the ministries he's given you here at Harvest. Yeah, amen. And thank you for listening to Harvest Time. Of course, at this point in the program, we always want to personally invite you to Harvest Baptist Church this Sunday. There are two services, one at 9 a.m., the other at 11 a.m. We do have those COVID safety protocols in place at both, and we'd love to see you at either. But we also have, at the 9 a.m. service, a live stream, which you can find on hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. Org. And this week, special guest, we heard from him today, Mark Herbster. He'll be speaking on Going Against the Flow, 1 Peter 3.15. Thanks again for listening to Harvest Time. <laughs>